I'm looking at this one plan we brought down here to the studio, and it's really interesting because I'm looking at it. There, there's a private courtyard off the master bedroom. I'm kind of looking at how we laid that out. As you move into the front yard, there's an entry courtyard. As you come up the driveway, there's an entry courtyard walkway. Instead of the normal walkway that just goes right up and cuts the yard in half, the driveway has a, a sidewalk slash courtyard, which is kind of grown out of it. There are planter walls there. There's some elevation changes. There's a fountain, kind of a welcome fountain, a small little seating area, not, you know, large table and chair eating, but a small little um, cafe table. Kind of, yeah, mm-hmm. something set out there. We have the, the pots, which are out there, the shade trees to make it very comfortable. You mean the, the pots, you mean planters with flowers right, and things? Right, right. Sorry about that. Yeah. Sound so like the, kitchen pots. Yeah, the pots and pants. No. That doesn't sound very... <laughs> Yeah. No, but you've got the urns out there with the cascading color and the, and the plantings and the fragrance. There's also kind of what I would call a street planting, which is that little bit of buffer from the street so that the grass in the front yard really, really even adds to that whole courtyard look. And it, it gives you a very, very intimate setting there in the front so you can sit there, you can use it for living space as opposed to just dead area. Cause how, most, how does that received when you present that design where you've gone right to the curb and done the bed from the curb towards the house? Um, it scares people. Yeah, we don't see that it, very it scares often. Folks, we but, wonder what that's doing out there. But and, you know, that's actually a borrowed technique that I borrowed out of a lot of the old southern cities. Things like um, in New Orleans or Savannah, you'll see a in, in a typical subdivision, or not subdivision, typical street planting area where the homes are, are there, that you'll have the street, a little bit of a sidewalk, and then you'll have maybe even a small little fence or you'll have a small little footer wall, which is only a foot high, and a small wrought iron fence is, is, you know, below your waist level, kind of, you know, waist level down. And then the yard begins. So what happens then is that everything on the outside of that small little fence or little brick wall is considered to be the quote-unquote streetscape, and then everything inside is private space. So that you can be there in the front yard, there may be tree plantings out there close to the street, but while you're in the front yard, you feel like this is more of a private domain right there. Even though people can see you, it's just something that that, that, that almost kind of uh, separates that space and makes it part of the house rather than part of the street. So another way that we borrow from around the country and around the world to create our own Texas landscapes here. Well, we probably ought to introduce our our author or our photographer of a book that we've come across. We love it. Um, Absolutely have uh, expanded on um, a lot more of the living waters of Texas is the book. And, of course, we've got the photographer, Charles Cruvan. Are you there, Charles? I am, Charles. I, I am, Charles. Yes, Belinda, I am here. <laughs> Wonderful. That's so great. We love your, your book. It is beautiful. I mean, honestly, the presentation, the cover, the it, it's so interesting. It, it's brought home to me because there's so many of the, of the rivers uh, that I have been to that you have taken photographs of, and it's exactly as I remember, and yet they're beautiful, and I'm so curious about so many things that you've done in your photographs about uh, um, really the waters of Texas, right? Correct. I, um, you know, I went all over the state, and I started off in national parks like Big Bend and state parks, and in the end, I got onto many of these great, wonderful private ranches all over Texas, and that's when the project really took off. Oh, yeah, it's hard to photograph when you're dodging buckshot. <laughs> well, <laughs> we just have a lot of great places in the state that... 
Martin private property. And, uh, <laughs> we do. I enjoyed right? going to these ranches so much. Isn't that great? So, it, Char, is the key to life to have a camera with you, and, and anyone, anyone will let you on their property as long as you look like you're doing the photography, and uh, <laughs> you can. Well, you know, it did help. It did help. I had people calling ahead and introducing me, and I would go to these ranchers, and I would meet with them, and uh, then they would generally let me on, but not always. Some said, "I don't. I don't want my." beautiful place photographed. I don't want anyone to know what's here. Isn't that wow. funny? Well, yeah, we are. For, the ones that you've done, you've captured images, honestly, that have um, brought the spirit of Texas. I mean, it's really inspiring. You see that generations that really have that have held on to their property due to the water. And we always talk about the view and what people pay that price for, right, for the view. And right. um, the different waters. I know the Colorado River, we, we've got several books on that. And, and you photographed it as long as uh, Jacob's Well in near Wimberley is the one that I find near and dear as well. Um, the people, I mean, really what motivated you once you started getting, I guess, intrigued with those public waterways and then you get into those private? I I... I started off as a landscape photographer. Actually, I started off as a commercial photographer. I was in Los Angeles and got a degree in commercial photography and was going to do annual reports and other type product photography in a studio. And I started going out in California and taking photographs. I met Ansel Adams and other famous landscape photographers and started doing some of the going to the same places they went to. Right. Wow. And when I moved back to Texas, I just started going out. And every time I went out, I'd find myself walking downhill to a river. (laughs) And I couldn't take my eyes off of these beautiful bodies of water. And as time went on, I had a collection of photographs that seemed to be a book. And I contacted uh, Texas A&M. That's the publisher of the Living Waters of Texas. And they encouraged me to keep going, and I worked on it another 10 years. Wow. So do you think your dad was part of this inspiration from the get-go to keep you photographing landscapes and and really water, I guess, being out? I mean, you talk about that. You kind of dedicated the book to him, right? I did. He he took me out hunting, and it was in all these wonderful excursions out bird hunting that I... I got to experience these places. These we call them wild places, but it's it's really just places where the creatures live and we don't. So, <laughs> you true. know, it's just like being with a different family, so to speak, other than your own. And I, I just enjoyed it so much, I, I couldn't get it out of my mind as I uh, became an adult. That's funny. That's how I, I talk about it with my grandkids when we're walking somewhere and we just happen on a place or if they're just looking at frogs or something else on the wait. Now, this is their home. We're, you know, we're just approaching it ourselves. So stay back right. and let's don't change that nature of the landscape, right, just by coming and being part of it. But we're drawn to water as, as humans, really. I mean, we gather and even the yeah. designs that we do for our homeowners, we're creating, you know, water holes or a water feature, the sound of water in the courtyard to the backyard or in the yeah. swimming pool it's that sound of water that's very intriguing and you know it evokes life clearly we're we're part of it's part of our makeup right it is very much uh, water is the miracle of life and you know maybe one day we're going to going to discover other places in the universe that have water but right now only earth has liquid water mm-hmm. and you know it's really interesting that our bodies are made up of the same percentage of water is that which covers the earth about 72 percent <laughs> and the blood in our body has the same salt as the ocean. Isn't that incredible? 
Incredible. So l- let me ask you, what, while you were doing the photography, you were yeah. meeting a lot of the folks, too. Um, <laughs> did you find any impact of how people who are around water are any different than, than anybody else? Or did you find any any real strong relationships to the folks who live by the water that was seen almost be formed by these bodies of water? Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, these ranchers and these families that uh, have property, even people that uh, have recently acquired a ranch, they start to become so attached to that spring and that stream and that river that they look at it every day, and it becomes they have a relationship with it. And when it's healthy and doing good, they feel good. And when it goes down in a drought, they feel the same pain you know, that all the creatures feel from not having a, enough water. Well, I think it's amazing how when we do the our own little designs, like Belinda said, and we start doing welcoming, you know, um, fountains by just a small little trickling uh-huh. fountain by the front door or something in a courtyard, how it, the impact it has and how soothing it is on the emotions of the visitors and the families right. who live there. That's exactly right. And it's it does the same thing to... To, to me when I'm outdoors, but I also get to watch the birds and the deer and all kinds of other animals, the turtles and otters and beavers, and they're having the same important relationship with the water that, you know, you speak of with your, uh, your, your fountains for people living in the city. Have you found that the importance of organizations that are trying to protect the water sources is becoming even greater now as Texas seems to be growing more and more? It's important to have this voice that speaks about taking care of where we live and that we want to maintain our standard of living. And that standard of living includes, as Belinda was saying, going outdoors and seeing a frog and seeing water and listening to it. We don't want to lose it because then we'll all be impoverished. Right. Well, even, you know, I start looking at this and I wonder how, what, how many waters are unchanged right now or have, has human our impact on the water even here in Texas and what we've done to it? Have you found any, did you come across any waters that haven't been disrupted or, or changed due to our activities? Everything's been changed. It doesn't mean that it's completely gone, but everything has been changed, even the Colorado River that you spoke of earlier, it starts in the panhandle around Lubbock. And it is it was entirely spring fed from the very aquifer that we have used to grow cotton. And that aquifer no longer produces much water. So the headwaters of the Colorado River are greatly diminished. Man. That's pretty scary, it, I guess, right, yeah, right there. It's, it's scary, but it's just the way it has to be. We need water. <laughs> uh-huh. We love water. We have a great standard of living in this country. I mean, we consume a lot of water. Yes, we do. And at the same time, we, we have to acknowledge that it's not infinite, and we don't want to lose it. We don't want to all be just going into swimming pools. <laughs> that's right. That's uh-huh, right. That's true. A, so do you have any other books that you're working on right now as far as... Uh, photography books or nature books? Well, I'm working on the book that, that you gave me this title for. I think it was, you said, Critters and Mocha, which uh, <laughs> is the Natchez River in East Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, it's probably the most important wildlife river left in Texas. And recently, I say recently, I think it was 2010, actually, that 
um, Dallas wanted to build a reservoir on the Natchez River, and uh, the United States Fish and Wildlife took them to the United States Supreme Court and stopped them. And instead of another reservoir for Big D, there's going to be a wildlife refuge on the Upper Natchez River. And wow. uh, once I heard this incredible news, which really didn't seem possible, uh, I can't think of any time in history that Dallas has been prevented from building a reservoir. <laughs> I started, uh, <laughs> it is Big D, right? Yeah. I started going out to East Texas with a friend of mine who lives there. and We've been canoeing that river. Uh, we've been out there more than 110 nights, and uh, it's a 235-mile-long stretch between two small dams. And um, it's just opened my eyes to uh, something that most people don't, don't know about, which is the Natchez River in East Texas. Well, I can't wait for that book to... Uh, how, how long before that book is out? Well, it could be out in October, and it could be out a year after this October. I okay. just have <laughs> so much fun with it. I don't... You keep doing these radio interviews, you're never going to get your work done. <laughs> well, I enjoy it so much, That's and I do enjoy uh, your radio interviews, and it's good to hear the same voices that we... Uh, that I heard a few months ago, Thanks I guess, so when, when you called. That's right. Well, they can't get rid of us. You know, we kind of sneak in in the morning, do the show, and then sneak out, and that's what happens. So. <laughs> uh, it's so nice. Well, well y- your book, The Living Waters of Texas, and of course you photograph even close to home for us, Buffalo Bayou. You've gotten a lot yeah. of those. But, you know, when Sean and I fly and, and we're looking over the landscape and you can see how the rivers, uh, the different bodies of water connect really our whole society, right? We're all connected through the waters. And you can kind of see that when you are flying overhead. And you probably noticed that yourself. But <laughs> I always, I'm attracted to water. I'm drawn to it in the different places yeah. when we vacation i want to be near and dear water yeah. every time every time i agree yeah, every time it's, it's true charles it's you've done an awesome yeah well you've you've motivated me to even go and see some of these other places that you have captured in your photographs and um, i'm desperate to see some of them during the time of day looks like early morning or even at sunset i can't quite tell the difference right but it's they're beautiful one or the other it's true yeah. I, you know being a photographer i think a lot of people don't understand or don't I say that like 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 they don't understand they do, but you, the, the 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 river is always there, and it's just when you go to photograph it, you're just photographing the light on the river, right? And that's what makes a great image. Reflections in the water, it's really beautiful. Your book is amazing, and once again, thank you for your time. The Living Waters of Texas is an incredible book. I encourage everybody to run out and get one. And of course, uh, you've done a tremendous job in putting it together. Um, and, of course, I know you have a co-author, right, with you that wrote the book and did all the... Right, you've, Ken you've done Kramer. All, yeah, Ken. Ken Kramer, that's it. Right, Forgive he me was for... um, the president of the Lone Star chapter of the Sierra Club, and he wrote a chapter and organized all the other writers to write about their parts of Texas that they lived in. Well, well good job, and, and thanks again, because Texas A&M has, has certainly supported us in so many other ventures, and now that you've put this book together... Um, we feel really complete, though. The Living Waters of Texas, thank you for doing that. Really do. Stand in amazed. Good to hear from you guys again. Thank you so much. You bet. Bye-bye. Thanks, Charles.